heavily, I'm a clown. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm working on getting some other content put together here. Uh, hopefully should have that out sometime soon. Ben and I are planning to do two recordings sometime in the near future. Uh, one of them is with a guest and one will probably be a retrospective between him and I on uh, WTF 1971. Just talking about some of the lessons that we've learned and some of the discussions that we have uh, had with each other. But today I did a quick discussion with J.W. Weatherman. I say quick, but it's like an hour. A quick discussion with J.W. Weatherman about some of the recent events and how the world is seemingly turning upside down in a hurry. Um, you know, J.W. is pretty level-headed and generally pretty optimistic about the future, so maybe you'll hear this and it will be a little bit reassuring to you. But I do want to caveat this interview with the fact that, you know, a lot of these events are still unfolding. Um, we recorded this early in the day, just before the Fed announced their 0% interest rate cut. Um, I don't know that that would have colored our thinking much. I think we were all kind of expecting something like that to happen sooner or later. But these events are unfolding rapidly, and we're discerning the information as best we can with the knowledge that we have as of present, and uh, trying to navigate the propaganda of nation states as best we can. So maybe we don't get everything right in the future. Who knows? These are our best uh, educated, or if you, if you want to call them educated, interpretations of the events at large. So if you disagree, feel free to join in on discussion in Twitter or in the Discord or what have you. We're not going to be offended if you don't agree with us, but at least provide reasons, preferably reasons with evidence. But anyways, let's get right into this. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. All right. So, world's getting kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's always been crazy. Like this is <laughs> yeah. uh, this is more of a, like in 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 a way, people that are um, that have been saying that the world is crazy are kind of breathing a sigh of relief that we're not all nuts, right? Um, the people that have been preparing and expecting, you know, a financial downturn every seven to ten years, which seems pretty typical. Um, I think a lot of us are going, okay, all right. Yep. We were right. You know, Ponzi schemes don't last forever. And uh, there's always got to be, if not a permanent reset of, you know, the major Ponzi scheme, which is the U S dollar, at least a, at least a temporary downturn where they have to, uh, they have to, you know, recognize some losses that are on the books. Um, they've been hiding a lot of stuff for a while, but they can't keep doing that forever. So in, in a weird way, I think I'm in a better mood. Because uh, I I feel like the universe makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I kind of feel like you either have to be stupid or uh, have your head in the sand to not see these types of things coming. Um, you know, because I I think all the way back to like 2018, I was seeing the warning signs that that this was coming up quick and fast. Um, right. 
and I, I was pretty accurate, like with a lot of the predictions that I made and I don't, you know, I'm not like a professional money manager or anything like that. So how can those people not see these things coming? That's what I wonder. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, I think the, I think a lot of the ones that have been around for a while do, and they, they know that, you know, they know that they're, there is a boom bust cycle, right? They're going to attribute it maybe, you know, if they're, if their status and are not familiar with the Austrian school, they're going to attribute it to the natural, you know, tendency of man or, you know, animal mm-hmm. spirits mm-hmm. or something. Or the, the fear of a virus epidemic. Yeah. I mean, they may actually believe that, but you know, even, even, even if they attribute it to the virus, they're going to most of the guys that have been around a while, they're going to say, yeah, you know, we have a, we have an economic cycle every seven to 10 years. Um, yes, there's usually an event that, you know, kind of changes everybody from, you know, super amped to more depressed. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this, this happens to be the event, uh, possibly, but, um, but I don't think they're going to say, oh, you know, we, we could have, we could have kept doing this for another five years, like without, without a down cycle, right? Like most people expect a down cycle at some point, right? Right. And we've already had an unprecedented sort of run. I don't think like there, there aren't a lot of people that I've heard that are like, oh, I really thought we were never going to see this again. Right. I really thought we, we were in a new paradigm where uh, economic growth uh, under fiat currency was just continuous. Right. Like, sure. Nobody's that shocked. Um, well, yeah, there might be like some people under 30 that believe that, but. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think most of that is just like, they, they just don't care that much. Right. Like if you're under 30, especially if you're not even married, like all you're worried about is trying to land a spouse. True. Um, so, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to give people too much crap for not being prepared for this because like life is complicated and there's all kinds of competing priorities all the time. And, uh, and you know, like, like I, I said earlier today, like, yeah, if you took my financial advice, you were, and you don't have at least a month in the bank, you were working 50 or 60 hours a week minimum to get to that point. Right. Um, right. And even beyond that, we're like, you're developing a skill set, you're learning to code something that's really in demand. And you're going to work 50 or 60 hours a week, probably until you have a lot more than a month in the bank. Um, and, you know, you have at least a, you know, a six figure net worth, right? Like I would say, uh, n- nobody that was like looking to me for advice thinks that they shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, like that, that that's, there's a real cost there. And, you know, people are stressed out. They have, they have family problems. They have, you know, a, a lot of people don't have happy marriages and they're dealing with that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of reasons that, uh, people are not in that situation. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that they were just idiots, right? They're like right. The, the universe is like, I think part of, part of what's going on here is that there are people that think like everything is really, really good, right. For periods of time. And I don't tend to fall into that category. Like I, I expect to be kicked in the nuts pretty hard every few years and wish I was dead. Um, and maybe that's cause I'm a little bit pessimistic or I just have more of a tendency to be sort of depressed when, when stuff happens, or I'm just old enough to have been kicked in the nuts a lot, you know, over the last couple of decades, I don't know. But, um, but I think the people that are taking this really hard are the ones that weren't expecting any bad news. And I'm right. a little bit jealous of that. Like I would have liked to live the last 20 years and not expect the other shoe to drop constantly. Right. So, uh, well, yeah, it's know. for sure. You know, when you live a life of, um, of cynicism just because you, you know, too much. Um, it, I, I think, you know, that's why what you, where you said where we almost feel a little bit vindicated when these events happen is because it's like, well, yeah, 
I mean, I, I know, I know this was coming, um, but it's right. like, you, you don't want to see it happen. Like, I don't, I don't think any of us that predict these types of calamities, like want to see people suffer. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. That's sociopathic. But like the people that I, I really am concerned for, are like the, the single mothers out there, you know, who don't have means to, to even build up uh, enough wealth to reasonably survive a crisis or the, the elderly who are distanced from their families for whatever reason, those are tough situations to be in for those people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, for me, part of the reason that I've worked harder than almost anybody that I know over the last, um, I mean, there's, I definitely know people that work harder than me, but in general, I work harder than, you know, 99% of the people that, that I interact with, right. For whatever that's worth. And, uh, a big part of my motivation is, one, I do expect bad things to happen. And two, I want to be in a position to actually make a difference, right? Like mm -hmm. I, it, so if you had asked me three months ago, like what, what's one of the reasons that you're working uh, and, and like not just chilling at this point because, you know, you should be able to retire and just fish all the time. Uh, I would have said, look, the, the medical system is socialized. It's a nightmare. And it wouldn't surprise me if I have a kid at some point that has cancer or something really messed up. And I want to be in a position to write a check for $100,000 under the table to get them the treatment they need. I know, I know that, you know, this sounds crazy to a lot of people, but when things get socialized, uh, you have to go to the black market. And if you don't have real money and substantial money, you're not going to be able to get what you need on the black market. So I'm preparing for kind of, that's one of the, that would have been one of the top of mind sort of worst case scenarios, because I've seen what's happened to medical services over just like the last three years like mm -hmm. insurance premiums are going up uh smart people are not becoming doctors mm -hmm. and uh and the rationing has not been reduced right like the number of medical schools out there has not shot up considerably and this is how this is how like governments work right they they pick something that they're going to monopolize like medicine and yes, it is a it is a monopoly because they're handing out these licenses mm -hmm. and they're rationing the licenses through the medical schools. So you know, we're, right now we're in a situation where we're like, oh my gosh, we might not be able to get all the medical care that we need. The medical care that most of these people need is like a ventilator mm -hmm. and you know maybe a few thousand dollars worth of medical equipment and somebody that has maybe a week or two of training. Right. That's going to get like all of these most severe cases, like 90% of these people that are, that are really, you know, would die otherwise right through. Right. Right. And right. And, and but the market reality of a socialized system doesn't allow for uh, those steps to be taken to provide the level of care that, that those people need in the numbers that it's required. Uh, you know, and, and I see this firsthand having family that works in the medical field. Uh, the hospitals in over the last several years have started hiring nurses um, with bachelor's degrees over experienced nurses with associate's degrees, uh, just a total arbitrary requirement. The only difference between a two-year nurse and a four-year nurse is 10 months of online schooling, taking like, like silly courses like hospital ethics and like um, legal uh, like hospital law and like administration classes and all like things that someone would need if they were working their way up to be a manager, but not a floor nurse. Um, you, you've seen many of these hospitals in the U S actually paying to bring uh, more paper qualified nurses in from other countries, footing the bill to put them up in housing, uh, paying for their cost of living and hiring them over experienced nurses with lesser uh, paper qualification. 
Yep. Yep. Totally. And that's all super bad news, right? It's Soviet style uh, rationing, something I'm concerned about for me and my family and, and for, for strangers. Um, it's insane that uh, somebody as smart as you and I can't go through a class and be able to make sure that, you know, we can't check oxygen levels, right? Like, sure. you, you give, me, give me a break, right? But we can't. Like, we, if, if people are dying right now and the hospitals are full, we can't show up and say, hey, I'm not a, a total moron. Uh, give me 20 minutes of training and I'll make sure that these people don't sit here and die because nobody can pay attention to their oxygen sat, right? right. Which, which is happening. I guarantee you somebody probably died today because there's too few nurses and too many people in beds. And, uh, but, you know, on the flip side, this is also, I think, way blown out of proportion as far as the impact of the disease. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, to flip that around, yes, I am. I have been worried, like I think as a wise person, I have been worried about socialized medicine and how it's getting worse. On the other hand, like MRIs, there's more of them in the United States than there ever has been before. Like all of the stuff that actually matters, in spite of the U.S. government really ratcheting down um, and making it kind of a nightmare uh, for good people to solve real problems and save lives we're still so we're we're still overcoming that right up to this point we have been overcoming that at a pretty rapid clip so even if things get really bad they're still probably not going to come close to pushing us back 20 years right chances are that if you have a problem you're still going to be way better off and get way better care than you would have in the 80s because we've just we've actually improved the world with real tools and technology over the last couple of decades. So it's, it's, you know, yes, if you were worried about the sort of stuff and you were preparing, you feel vindicated right now, but on the other hand, like let's not get too carried away here. Like most of the people that are going to get hurt by this um, were old enough to where they were probably going to die in the next 10 years anyway. So old enough and sick enough to where, you know, they didn't have that many years left in them. Um, and that's not to like be flippant. Like these are people that I, I care about and I don't want them dead. Uh, but it, it, we, we got to have like, you know, some realistic balance on how we're looking at this. Um, it's true. Thing. Yeah. It's, yeah and we're so from a Mad Max scenario. It's ridiculous. I, I, but I think um, one of the things that's, that's important to point out here is like when you have these socialized systems, um, particularly systems where, the the pricing uh, pricing signaling is distorted by government intervention and, and you're seeing this kind of crop its way up uh, in, in other places than just healthcare right now you're seeing shortages in grocery stores and you're seeing um, preppers online being vindicate or um, the word for vilifying uh, vilified uh, by by the general public as if they're the people who have prepared beforehand are uh, the sh- cause of a shortage uh, in a crisis situation when in reality, you know, the governments are uh, manipulating the price signals that should be getting sent to the producers of these goods uh, that should be sending signals uh, to ramp up production and, and providing excess capital to do whatever is necessary to ramp up those productions. And uh, if, if a single case of toilet paper costs $50 in the grocery store um, because they could price according to demand, then I guarantee you people wouldn't be showing up with a cart full of 12 cases of toilet paper and leaving the store. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it like that, that's the thing about, I, I don't want to sound too arrogant here, but I think whether this applies to me or not, that's the, that's the thing about wisdom, right? Is like wisdom is the guy that's not exuberant when everybody's exuberant. And it's the guy that's not freaking out when everybody's freaking out. Right. It's somebody that, that has a better grasp on 
um, on the way that the world actually works and the way that people actually work. And I think I'm, I'm closer to that than, uh, than I was 10 years ago, at least I'll say that. Um, but even, 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 you know, as I'm like bragging, there was a day a few days ago, like Joe Rogan did this interview with some dude from whatever, you know, he's got a book to sell. Uh, and, uh, I was like, you know, 10 or 15% death rate is terrifying. Like if, if we're really looking at that and I talked to my wife and she's like, what are you talking about? Like, don't you remember the numbers that we were just looking at a few days ago out of South Korea? And I had to go back and look at that and like, Oh yeah, this is, this is bullshit. Like I had to, I had to look at those numbers and then I had to go back and look at the Joe Rogan interview and the points where he was talking and go, yeah, you know, it, a lot of it is just the way that people are saying stuff. Right. So um, sure. So like I'll say it's not that bad. It's five times worse than the flu, right? Sure. That's the best data that we have. And somebody else is like, it's 15 times worse than the flu. You know, it's the end of the world. Um, and, you know, even if it's 15 times worse than the flu, it's not going to be good. But we're talking about the flu. It happens every year, right? So it's not, you know, like 15 times worse than something that happens every year. It isn't usually a big deal, but it does kill a lot of people that are, are diseased or elderly. Sure. And, and you can go back and look at some data like um, the 1918 Spanish flu, for example, and there was a very significant increase in death related to uh, pneumonia diseases that year. Um, and, and I would venture to guess that the vast majority of those deaths might even be caused by just an overwhelming of the systems, particularly the fragile systems that are in place um, and manipulated by the government. You know, when we see these shortages happening in the grocery stores, if people starve, it's not because we ran out of food. It's because um, the, the system that it was in place was so fragile that a little bit of stress uh, disrupted it long enough to uh, cause people to die. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking, I, I won't, I won't say his name, but I was talking to somebody that, um, that lives in Italy right now and uh, he, you know, he's under lockdown, whatever. And we were chatting about this and he said, you know, I was just talking to a doctor that was freaking out. Um, and he was saying, you know, I'm, we're, our hospital's totally overwhelmed. You know, this is, this is a total nightmare scenario. Um, and he, he, he explained to me that he was just, you know, doing this sort of Socratic method and just trying to figure out what the real truth is behind the hysteria. And by the end of it, he, the, the doctor agreed that like, basically this is all man-made or at least it could easily be explained as a man-made thing, like not the virus itself. It was a combination of, um, uh, they had reduced the, so, so the bottom line for this, this hospital is they're at 200% capacity, right? And, but it turns out like two months ago, they were at a hundred percent capacity. Like mm-hmm. they were bouncing off capacity already, which is mm-hmm. not something that you would expect, you know, unless it's a socialized service, right? You'd same thing prices in the US. to go up. Yeah. Same right, exact right. thing here. Yeah. Yeah. So you would expect like, we, we can't have a doctor shortage, right? You would expect doctors get paid more in a free market and that draws in more people, right? Um, smart people are not going into medicine right now. They're going into other fields because medicine's right. a nightmare. Right. Right. Most doctors will not recommend medicine to their kids. That's not because they don't like taking care of people. It's because we've destroyed the medical system by nationalizing it, right? Like like every everything else that we get our hands on. So so they're at two hundred percent capacity, but they were just bouncing off one hundred percent two months ago with nothing going on. Mm -hmm. So that tells you right off the bat that this is not terrifying, right? It's terrifying because we've socialized medicine and destroyed the medical industry. But it's not, it's, it's not terrifying for something to be 200% worse than something that happens regularly. 
Mm -hmm. These are just, that would be completely explainable by the natural ebb and flow of, of people getting sick. But then, you know, as he, as he digs in more, he's like, you know, not only that, but they, they reduced the number of beds per floor because they wanted to spread people out. That accounts for like 15%, right? Right. They reduced the number of shifts because of the extra work involved. So that, that explains why they're, they're uh, you know, struggling to uh, keep things up. And then it turns out that they're also, they changed the, what they're admitting people for, right? It's the ICU that's underrun or overrun. Um, and before, if a 94-year-old showed up and they had pneumonia, they'd send them off to hospice to die. Like they weren't going to worry about it. Now they're putting them into ICU and they're treating them like they're, uh, you know, coronavirus patients, right? And so the death rate's going up. So all of these policy decisions even if it was just the same as it was a couple months ago, explains that, that increase. Um, but, you know, but even the doctor that's there is freaking out, right? So sure, and I, I don't blame him at all. You know, I, I really feel for um, the people that have to bear that burden that they shouldn't have to bear, you know, because the people in the, the many people that work in the medical field, they just want to help people. You know, they want to save lives. And some of them might not be that great at their jobs, but some of them are probably pretty good. And uh, you hate to see them. Uh, have to suffer and, and bear that burden that they shouldn't have to bear, that the market should be able to distribute that burden for them. Right. But at the same time, like they, they don't even know why they're suffering. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes, I can, I'm completely sympathetic to this guy. He's just a good guy trying to keep people from dying. There's also part of me that wants to punch him in the mouth because he's running around causing this fear um, when the real problem is that medicine is, is socialized, right? The real mm -hmm. problem is that you like, there's a part of me that's like, look, you needed somebody else to help you realize that all of these policies, like how many years of medical school do you have? And you, you can't do the math to figure out that if you reduce the number of beds and do all these other things, it can account for this 200% increase. Sure. Uh, it, or this, this, you know, 200% capacity sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I get it. And you know, when you're, you know, he's running around trying to keep people from dying. He's probably not in that time to take a step back and think these things through. But, but this is the weird spot that people are in right now that are, that are, uh, you know, more thoughtful about it because, you know, if, if we, if we throw out, Hey, we don't really think the coronavirus is that big of a deal. People respond with, well, you know that we're going to have hundreds of thousands of people die across the globe. And the answer is, yeah, yeah, I do know that, but we have to, we have to pinpoint the cause a little bit more. And we also have to put it in context of the fact that people die from all kinds of stuff and governments around the world, these mafias are constantly causing people to die. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of us, especially in Bitcoin, we were freaking out last year uh, because of all of the things that government's doing to make everything more expensive, make food more expensive, completely destroy the education system, indoctrinate people into the, you know, the statist uh, weird perspective help make them feel like they don't have to have any savings at all, right? Because people need savings. If, if it's not the coronavirus, it can be a hurricane. If it's not a hurricane, it can just be that your skill set is getting phased out and you need to take a, you need to take a beat and learn something else. Right. But, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that more people are going to die this year because of the indoctrination and the feeling that, that daddy government's always going to take care of them because daddy government often doesn't take care of them when that happens. Uh, those sort of more systemic general things are things that I'm, I'm constantly worried about. 
So, you know, this point in time where everybody else is worried too, I'm actually less worried because now I don't feel like the one crazy person that's going, hey, hey guys, uh, you know, we're killing people here. Like people are dying. Uh, do, do we really want to keep doing this? Right. Uh, but and at the same time, we're on track to make the world a much better place than it was 10 years ago, even with all this crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and, and the thing is, daddy government uh, isn't tied down by all those pesky uh, moral obligations that, that those of us that are individuals in society have to uh, contend with. Um, and it, pretty much any bureaucratic organization can wash its hands of any moral responsibilities to the individual uh, just based on the fact that, uh, well, you know, I just did my job. Uh, I, just, I just did what I had to do. And, uh, yeah. And, and this is something I tweeted recently is that any, any government or any bureaucratic hierarchy, uh, and if you've ever worked with one, you'll know this is true, it prefers the cheaper option over the better or the correct option, or at least the option that we would interpret to be uh, superior uh, as individuals. Um, and, and that's just a, the nature of those systems. And, you know, I think there's a greater economic lesson that can be gleaned um, from this example of the overwhelming of the hospital systems, and you can uh, turn it right around and compare it uh, with the breakdown in the greater uh, economic landscape that we're having right now. You know, these black swan events, these unpredictable calamities that that do come because they're the nature of existence. You know, existence is a fight against death um, every day, and we often forget that because we live in a world with supermarkets full of food uh, and air conditioning and penicillin. Uh, we forget that existence is a fight against death on a daily basis. You know, th these, these systems that have been made fragile by the socialization of medicine or, you know, better yet, a better example, the socialization of debt, right? That caused this huge bubble in the shale industry. And then when the bubble popped and the price collapsed, you saw the ripple effects go through the entire economy. And I've been looking at some research that, uh, you know, the, the huge sell-off in the stock market that happened just recently wasn't being caused by individuals that were panicking and selling their stocks because they were afraid of getting the coronavirus. It was, you know, maybe that's the narrative on the media, but it was being caused by ripple effects in the broken liquidity debt cycle um, in the, in the over-leveraged hedge funds and over-leveraged hedge funds and the over-leveraged banks that's being socialized and propped up by the government. And, and that's the greater lesson here is that these government systems make things that should be robust, fragile. And when a little bit of stress comes along, those systems collapse under pressure. Totally. But, but let's not get too extreme and say collapse, right? Because they don't, they don't actually collapse. They relatively collapse, mm -hmm. but so there's, there's two, like if we just step back, there's two major trends happening in the world. And, and uh, one is fortunately bigger than the other. One is that people are getting pulled out of poverty at an insane clip. Um, we are building factories. We're taking people that were barely productive enough to keep their bellies full. We're giving them tools. We're giving them factories. We're giving them equipment and training. And they're instantly able to not only feed themselves and their families, they're able to, you know, feed their extended family and build stuff so that we can get stuff cheap, right? So that means that we're more able, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, a, a rice farmer in China, right? He's, he's barely able to fill his belly. He goes into the city. Yes, it causes pollution and yeah, but he's not starving to death. His family's not starving to death. And then I can buy silverware, right? That's made in China off Amazon for 30% less. And that means I'm in a better place 
to take care of other things and solve other problems. I can invest more into my startups and things like that, right? So that's the big picture trend of what's going on and it overwhelms everything else. It overwhelms coronavirus and it even overwhelms this crazy mafia that, or this network of mafias or however you want to think about it that is sucking incredible amounts of wealth, right? The Chinese government sucking an incredible amount of wealth off that rice farmer's back um, and using it to terrorize him, right? And terrorize us. The US government's doing the same thing to me and you. But in spite of that, we're still way better off than we were 15 years ago. And yes, we're going to have pain and suffering. And a lot of that pain and suffering is caused by government, but it's still probably going to be less than it was 15 years ago. Like it would be catastrophic if somehow the US government screwing with our monetary system was able to push us back 15 years. But 15 years wasn't that long ago, right? So we got to keep we got to keep this kind of in perspective um, of those two those two major sort of I don't know macro uh, things that are happening, and so you know we we can talk about what's going on with the coronavirus and you know what what I think is happening there and what you think is happening and I think that's important but we've got to keep it in perspective that. Uh, we've got to kind of jump back between zooming in and zooming out, right? When we zoom in, like I can get suicidal almost and like Allah Akbar, I'm going, you know, to blow up the Capitol or something. Sure. But then I zoom out and it's like, no, you know what? These guys are that evil. Like they do do all of the things that we're upset about, but we're still overcoming it, right? Like free individual people are still making the world a better place at a, at a, at really a shocking clip. Um, and we should just keep doing that. That's that's the action item, right? Just like keep working, keep building good stuff, take care of your family, um, and right, and, and recognize and be prepared. that these are problems. Yeah, yeah. Recognize that these are problems. Recognize that the mafia may screw you over real bad in the next few years. Um, so save up a little bit more. You know, yes, it's a, it's a total nightmare to find a place to save, um, and that's that's one of the most important things the mafia is doing to screw you over. But uh, but just you know, do your best, save, prepare for the rainy day. Um, and know that your kids are almost certainly going to have a much better life as far as all of the, you know, death and disease, uh, than you're, than you're going to face. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a good point about going back 15 years because 15 years ago we didn't even have Bitcoin and, uh, it, you, you talk about people working behind the scenes to make the world a better place. You know, no one even knows Satoshi Nakamoto's real name and we probably never will. Um, but yet what he gave the world, um, will probably continue to change it for as long as we're alive. Uh, and, and it's one of the things that I'm the most optimistic about, uh, just because of what it has the potential to do, what it has the, uh, the, the authority structures that it has the potential to disrupt is, is so good for the world. Um, I, I look forward to that. I really do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many bright spots, like, yeah, the government is totally screwing up our transportation system. But if you look at the, the like the death rate of people dying in car accidents just in our lifetime. It's like it's it's drastically lower because of things like airbags and you know people learning how to use seatbelts and things like that. So mm. there's like it, it's almost like we're so used to bright spots at this point that any dark spot just completely catches us off guard. Um, not me because I'm you know I'm kind of dark. Not you because <laughs> our personalities sure. are a little skewed in that direction. But, right. All right. So with that context, let's talk about what we think is going on with with the coronavirus. Um, so I, uh, I'm, I'm speculating like everybody else, but there's, there's a few things that are informing this. One is the South Korea numbers are the only reliable numbers. Um, they've done hundreds of thousands of tests. Nobody else has even bothered to do that. 
um, which is very suspect, right? Like the, there's not a good explanation for why that's happened outside of South Korea. And it's only been, you know, th these tests are, they're not rocket science, right? Like we definitely have the capability. We have the technology, right? So something else is going on. But if you just look at the South Korea numbers, which seems to be the only ones that are reliable, you're only really seeing people die and get hospitalized if they're above 60. Like the, 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 maybe it's 1% of people that get it. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's some like 1% of people are between, I don't know, 40 and 50, or, or maybe it's 50 and 60. Um, and then the number just goes way, way up, right? So you've right. got a lot of people above 60 getting hospitalized and dying. Yeah. But even there, it's not a lot. We're only talking about of the, those people that are above 60, we're only talking about half a percent, um, you know, overall of people that die. So it's, it's bad. Um, right. Where, that, where, the, where the death rates are much higher are in uh, comorbidity cases, like people with pre-existing health conditions, um, particularly like cardiovascular or um, lung disease. Oh, but that, that death rate, like the, I think it's 0.8 actually. That death rate includes all of those people, right? So no, like I'm the talking guy that's about 95, those populations specifically have much higher yes. than healthy. People. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They do. So, but what I'm saying is like, if you're just, if you just take the number overall, like any random person gets the virus in South Korea, they had a 0. 0.5, 0. 0.8% chance of hospitalization or death, right? Sure. Um, you, you look at that number and then you recognize that that number is increased because people come in that are 94 years old and have lung cancer and they normally would have been sent to hospice, right? So even that number is, is a little bit terrifying. But if we take like 0.5%, that's roughly 5% worse than the flu. The flu has a 0.1% uh, death rate. And that's with vaccines and everything else. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, 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 that, if those numbers are to be believed, it's five times a flu, it's five times like a typical flu season. It's not even five times a terrible flu season. Um, and that's not, that's not, I'm not saying that like you shouldn't wash your hands. Um, again, I'm one of those people that have been washing their hands. I'm not one of the people saying I've been washing my hands, which is everybody on uh, everywhere now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the number, I, I did a uh, survey on Twitter, you know, one was, ha have you seen a stranger use a paper towel to open the bathroom door? And it was like 60 or 70% of people are like, yes. I personally, I think I've seen that happen one time in my life, but that wasn't me. So I don't know where everybody's hanging out, but they're in, they're in more posh, uh, sophisticated places than San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. Um, but all that said, yes, wash your hands. Yes, uh, be careful not to kill one of your elderly or sick loved ones. Um, yeah, you should avoid it because the flu sucks. Like I hate getting the flu. Um, so yes, you should do all of those things. Should you shut down the entire economy? Probably not. So now the question is like, why are we doing that? Why are we, why are we shutting down, um, you know, major parts of the economy and freaking everybody out over something that unless somebody has better data than South Korea is five times worse than the flu. Um, so that's, I, I can, I can tell you my theory as to what that's about, but that gives you an idea of like what I think is the severity of it. Right. Yeah. And I guess the only pushback I could give on that is that um, from my understanding, South Korea had very early and very aggressive social isolation measures put in place. Uh, and, and just the fact that South Korea is a much smaller um, metropolitan area. The majority of the population, I believe, is in one small city. Or but that actually makes the numbers city. better. I mean, that, that, that what you just said there actually makes it worse. 
Like if, well, let's say that what 8,000 people got infected in South Korea, right? Let's say that 20,000 people got infected in South Korea. That's worse, but I can almost guarantee you that the death rate is going to go down. Right. Sure. Yeah, that is probably true. So, so um, it's not, I mean, and maybe not, maybe I shouldn't say almost guarantee you, but, but chances are that this was just like in Seattle, if you have a small number of people that are getting infected that we know about, there's a pretty good chance it's going through places like old folks homes and taking folks out. And if you hit the entire population, you're going to hit a lot more healthy people. Um, that, that would be my guess, my instinct. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but, but, uh, yeah. So everything that they did in South Korea that was good has no impact on the percentage of people that get hospitalized, right? In right. fact, the more aggressive they are, the better they are at responding, the more people are going to be, the more percentage of people are going to be hospitalizations. So, uh, and I so, haven't really heard anybody uh, give a good, like the people that are, are pushing the fear, they're not providing that context. And I don't think that's accidental. Like, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, that's the only place that's done testing. So I've, I've been watching this since the very beginning of the outbreak in China. Uh, and I've been discussing it with my wife quite regularly. And, you know, I, th I think both her and I agreed very early on that neither one of us were afraid of getting this disease and dying. Like we understand it's, it's a potential, but I mean, I also have a potential of dying in a car accident. Um, but what I could see almost immediately with a thing like this was the way that it would stress our fragile systems. You know, the, the things that I was talking about earlier, um, and, and I think that you're already seeing that. And I, I, you know, and, and you talked about, we could mention some of the reasons that, that this might be going on. Cause it does seem a little suspicious, uh, that there was so much FDA and CDC and who, um, hemming and hawing and, and, uh, foot tapping about what to do about this. And then by the time they finally decided to act, it's it suddenly became a crisis. You know, you have the the president of the free world tweeting that it's no worse than the flu, and then a week later, he's mobilized a task force of industry leaders around the country to deal with the pandemic. I mean, it's um, right. it's almost comical to see such a dramatic shift in tone so quickly. Um, right, but even even that, like you see the the shift in tone, but the obvious thing to do is to do testing. Sure. And I I absolutely don't buy the idea that they just can't figure out how to do testing. Sure. Like, yeah, no, that's definitely so, the South F Korea's FDA testing, and CDC. Yeah, I mean they're they're testing 13, 14,000 people a day. I, we haven't we haven't done anything approaching that. Um, and it's been weeks, right? Like we've known that this is coming. I don't think that they were caught off guard, especially since there have been places like the University of Washington, I think developed their own test. There's been a lot of people that are like we want to do the tests and they've asked for permission to do testing, and the CDC has just said no. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's very weird, right? Um, so that, that does, you know, you could, you could say it gets my conspiracy theory wheels rolling, but, um, but let's remember that government is always conspiring to do something, right? Absolutely. So there, there's, you know, and we, we know that there was a lot of uh, weird things happening around 9-11. I'm not it's like any other thing. I'm not saying that it was all CIA operatives that did that, but there were a lot of things that indicated that we were going to have a bad day and people intentionally looked the other way in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of incentive to do that, right? So, you know, 9-11 might be too new, so maybe that's, maybe that's too hard to push on. But let's just go back to things that have all been declassified that we know about uh, to, to kind of prep our systems for looking at this realistically. 
Mm-hmm. We know that the Lusitania, you know, you got to go back a hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. World War One. We know that that was intentionally set up to kill a bunch of Americans so that we could go into war. Mm-hmm. Like all of it's been declassified. It's not a story anymore. Mm-hmm. We know, and, and we that, know that, that we were financially and materially very involved in the war before the sinking of the Lusitania. Yeah, and the, I mean, lease the, agreements. the basic story there is that uh, Lusitania is like half full of munitions, half full of people. Germans know about it. They try to take out newspaper ads telling Americans, don't get on this boat because we're going to blow it up because you're not going to take all those munitions and put them in the hands of the British uh, because we're at war with the British. Uh, the U.S. government runs around, pulls all of that out of the newspapers. Literally, this is not, it's not even questionable anymore, right. right? This is all historical fact. U.S. government, the federal level, goes around, pulls all those ads out of the newspapers. People get on the boat. We know that the Germans know where it's going to be what it's about, that it's full of munitions. We fully expect them to blow it up. Um, you can't not blow it up if you're in their position, right? I mean, come on. Uh, so they blow it up. They, they, uh, they kill a bunch of innocent Americans that trusted their government. And uh, that's used a year later to get us into war. Um, it's a big part of the propaganda machine. Right. Um, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Maybe that's the right period. It's old enough to where we have enough historical data. Everybody recognizes it. It was all bullcrap. There was never an attempt to create nuclear weapons. Saddam wasn't doing that. It would have been foolish. He wasn't. We all know that now. Babies being pulled out of incubators and killed. All bullshit. We know that it was a, a little girl that worked for the, or that, that was the daughter of an ambassador um, Iraqi ambassador or something, Syrian mm-hmm. ambassador, I can't remember. Like we, we know exactly that that was BS. Mm-hmm. She stood up there. She Made said the that, whole thing you know, up. I, it, it's like, so these things happen regularly, right? Like every 10 years. So if they're not doing it with Corona, they're going to be doing it with something in the next five years that didn't last five years, right? It's, it's, it's kind of the job, right? Is to constantly be playing these sort of games. So, so with, with that as the, uh, as the preamble, uh, I do think that it's pretty obvious our financial system needed, we needed to write down the Ponzi, right? We right. needed, a, we needed an, a, a, an Ethereum moment or whatever, make the price drop, you know, recognize the weakness, and then we can start the scheme over again and start pumping people full of, you know, false hope and that sort of stuff. You can't, you can't do it forever. We needed that to happen at some point. Um, you know, the, the repo markets and stuff, a lot of the stuff you guys have been talking about for the last year, pretty compelling that you know it was going to happen sooner or later um we're also seeing people move off the u.s dollar right like Mm -hmm. the u.s has been powerful because everybody's on the u.s dollar we've seen some major moves to get off the petrodollar and other things in the last couple years so there's a lot of reason to believe that we were looking at a major event here one way or another um and what would you do in that situation i know what i would do i wouldn't try to cause the event but i would be waiting for the right opportunity to say, okay, we're, we know that the bubble is going to pop, right? Because it's a scam. We've, we've known it was a scam all along. We need it to pop down so that we can build it back up again. We've been doing this for 200 years, right? We're on our third U.S. currency. This is not, this is not a new scam. The average age of a fiat currency is, what, 17 years or something, right? So this is, we're, not, we're not even in conspiratorial territory to think that they have to be thinking about this. Um, and I know what I would do. I would wait for an event, and I would blame it on that event. Yeah, absolutely. So my my guess, and I could be totally wrong, but this is just me trying to, you know, interpret the data that I'm seeing. My guess is this was a good opportunity to blame it on, uh, you know, on a virus 
it, it works. They like to blame it on stuff that gives the government more power, not on stuff that makes people cynical um, and, and take government power away. Um, and all they had to do was one very simple thing. And that was just say, we're not going to allow you to test. Right. They didn't have to do anything else. So whether they did that or not, it's a brilliant move. And I would have been proud to come up with it myself because you limit the testing. That means only very sick people get tested. Nobody knows how to do math and think about numerators and denominators. So you have a 5% death rate. Everybody freaks out. The media loves it because their, their whole business model is fear and doom. So they're not going to be the ones going, well, you know, I mean, come on, we're only testing people that show up to the hospital. Clearly, if you show up to the hospital, you know, that conversation never happens, right? So you don't have to worry about that. So sure. I don't know if they did that or not, but so in the last I'm month, towards that. in the last month, I do have uh, firsthand account uh, examples of um, nurses being sick in the workplace, exhibiting flu-like symptoms, being denied testing. Um, patients that didn't have travel history exhibiting symptoms being denied testing and patients that weren't severe enough to be hospitalized being denied testing. So all of those things are, are, you know, either foolish or suspicious, um, probably a mixture of both. Uh, and, and we, we also can't discount, um, how much of this might just be general incompetence layered on top of conspiracy. Uh, it's it's totally. probably likely both. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't say likely both because it's either like either the CDC, either some powerful people in government said, all right, you know, we, we need a scapegoat here. We know how to do this. This is the job. Um, you know, we make people overly optimistic. We fleece the hell out of them. There's a period of pain where we have to write down all the losses that we've been papering over and we look for an excuse. You know, we look for something to blame it on. Um, so like none of that is even questionable. Like that is the job. That's what these people do. Um, it's how you, that, that's the role of government. <laughs> like I just described what a government does, right? Yes. That, you know, they also to some degree enforce laws and that sort of stuff, but the business model, like the thing that, that pays the rent is, uh, is controlling and kind of creating this boom and bust cycle through fiat currency. Right. So this is not, this is just science, like, uh, economic truth, right? There's not even a debate there. So at some point, somebody either said, okay, this, we're going to wait for a virus or, or this is the thing and this is how we're going to do it, right? Or the, the, this virus is happening. It's, it's what we need. Let's cook the books on this by not allowing for testing. Um, and, and that's a very simple thing to do. Or it was just incompetence. The incompetence thing is really tough to swallow, though, with South Korea running and with not only them, like, I can swallow incompetence a little bit more when it's, hey, uh, we, we just didn't make enough tests. We didn't plan for this or, you know, uh, you know, something like that, right? Like mm -hmm. we, but when they're actually, when they're telling somebody, you are not allowed to get tested. You can't pay for it. You can't have it done. You, it's actually, you know, you'll lose your medical license if you test these people when right. we tell you not to. That, that's where it's like, all right, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think this is an incompetence. This is some degree of, of intentional. It's still, I'm, I'm still like 60, 40 though. Like sure. I'm leaning more towards this being intentional and being a great excuse because it's, it's a little too convenient. Uh, but, you know, I, I certainly don't have a, any evidence that I haven't shared other than observation and it could be wrong. Right. And, and, you know, there was um, quite a lot of conspiracy very early on as this thing was breaking out that this was some sort of bioweapon. Um, right. 
And and actually, I would make the argument that it's a very good bioweapon because it it's going to kill off your less productive members of society. It's going to reduce your social security liabilities. Um, yes, it's going to put stress on systems. It's going to put stress on economics, um, feedback loops. But in the long run, you know, it, it could be useful for employment of um, elimination of certain unwanted populations. Uh, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to force a demographic shift uh, in in even something like political ideology, well, start doing away with some of the older folks, you know. And I think we talked about yeah, this on I Twitter. I, I mentioned the the story in Animal Farm where where Boxer, the workhorse of the farm, um, works hard his whole life with the promise of retiring in the shady green pasture, and then breaks his leg one day. And uh, he's you know he's a year or two from retirement at that point, and rather than sending him to the retirement pasture, they take him to the glue factory. Right. Yeah. Well, here's here's the here's the reality that happened either way, right? Like that either happened because they you know, the full on conspiracy theory sort of perspective, which doesn't sound all that crazy to me either, that they actually engineered this thing and released it. Either China did it on purpose or China did it with cooperation of the US or the US did it to China. You know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways that I could see that being fairly reasonable. It's not mm -hmm. like we don't pay a lot of people to build these things, right? There, right? there actually is a job where all you do is try to create these sort of things. And there's a lot of people that have the job. So it's not that crazy that that might be the case that somebody sure. decided to use it. That said, it's only five times worse than the flu, at least based on what I'm seeing so far. And there's enough variance in viruses and how hard they hit people to where that could totally explain it. And at the end of the day, I don't care because it's still the same people that are responsible for it. It's mm -hmm. still the same blood on the hands. It's just a matter of whether it was slightly more um, calculated and well, I wouldn't even say calculated. Like, is it a result of the constant uh, systematic theft and monopolization of important critical life-saving services? Or is it the result of we're going to kill a bunch of old people? I don't, I don't even care. Like, yeah, it's still the same make much bastards difference. that are responsible. And it's the same action items for us, right? Whether this is a bioweapon and they're trying to kill uh, old innocent people to get out of social security liabilities or whatever, um, or whether they have just destroyed our medical system and people are going to die, die as a result. Either way, we still need to do everything that we can to reduce uh, the amount of weakness of individual liberty, right? So we have to we have to make it as hard as possible to steal from people and to screw them over, um, and and to take care of our neighbors. So I don't you know I don't care. So I'll make a few predictions uh, about what we're going to see in the midterm as a consequence of, of some of the things that are happening here. Uh, the first and foremost is I expect we're going to see a, a big push from central banks towards virtual currencies um, in the interest of public health. Uh, the second thing that I think we're going to see from some of the economic backlash of this is more nationalization of industry, um, tighter government control, maybe some rationing, um, because I think that there is going to be a breakdown in supply chain here. There, there has to be. Um, we're, we're too, economies are too globalized. Uh, we're, we're very reliant. We're an import-based country, the United States is. Um, we import far more than we export. And, there, you know, there's going to be some people that refuse to go to work, refuse to go to work and put beans in cans and uh, print whatever it is that they print out at the factories that they work at and refuse to drive the trucks um, just out of fear. Uh, and, and there will be pain points, I think, in, in the midterm. Um, so I think it's important to be prepared for that.
Totally. I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think those, those predictions are, uh, they're definitely not crazy at all. I, I can see it going, like, I'll give you my best case scenario and my worst case scenario. Within reason, right? The Mad Max thing is always on the table, but it's a, it's a you know, 0.001% sort of thing um, that only freaks like me have enough guns and cans of beans to deal with. <laughs> um, but realistically, like worst case scenario that I could see, you know, let's say a 5% chance um, is, is that we actually have to reset the US dollar. Like we've done it twice in our history. In a way, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a Mad Max situation if we... I shouldn't say we, if the U.S. government says, okay, um, you know, because of the coronavirus and because of, you know, evil China, um, we, we can no longer, we have to default, basically. We default on the debt um, and maybe we even completely lose the currency, right? Um, we, we've done it a couple times before. Yes, it sucks if all the money in your bank account goes to zero um, and, uh, and they just issue new currency. Maybe that could be digital. like. Um, you, you could blame it on counterfeiting, right? You could say, you know, we have trillions of dollars of $100 bills rolling around. We got to go digital. We can't let those get deposited. We've got coronavirus. We've got China. We're really, you know, we're really sorry. We tried to keep you, you little guys safe, but we're going to have to just reset the currency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that could happen. I'd give it a 5% chance. I think in that scenario, it's not actually that bad. Um, it's, it's bad. Like we will, we'll see some people, you know, die as a result of it. But again, uh, maybe five or 10 times more than an average year. I don't know. Um, it's not going to be, uh, it's not gonna be like an apocalyptic, uh, sort of experience. I don't think, uh, because we, again, we still have all the same stuff. We still have all the 12,000 MRI machines that everybody needs, right? And we still have all of the training and education that everybody has. Um, we still have all of the same screwdrivers and all the same cars, but if they eliminate the currency, it will cause a lot of, uh, it will cause a lot of problems and a lot of disorganization basically, which is what, what an extreme bus cycle looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, we still have the factories. We're just not sure which, whether we can make shoes profitably or not right now Mm -hmm. and everybody's confused. So, you know, you, you look at like a six month, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe it's 18 months and it's really bad. Maybe it's only three months because there's so much uncertainty out there right now with the U S dollar that if Mm -hmm. they did eliminate it, a lot of entrepreneurs might breathe a sigh of relief and go, Oh wow, these guys, you know, in in the U S we screw up our currency every, I don't know, 70 years or something, or maybe 40 years. And they just screwed it up. Right. It's like, you know, they just filed bankruptcy. They're not going to file bankruptcy for a while. We can actually build some stuff now. Right. So, and, you know, in theory, you would have a lot of clarity after things got going again, because you wouldn't, for at least a, a period of time after that, you're not going to have a currency that's inflating very fast. Um, so that's kind of my 5% really bad scenario. Um, on the other hand, like my most optimistic is in a week, in two weeks, they roll out, um, they roll out all of the, the testing that they've been, you know, preventing. People see that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Um, the UK's approach to, you know, letting people develop inoculation um, and trying to keep the old folks isolated starts to prove to be the right approach. Um, and everybody chills out and basically goes back to work. Um, and we go through something that's worse than the 2008. I think we're either way, my, even I'm like my most optimistic side 
you know, um, I'm, I'm still thinking that we're looking at, at a recession um, that's going to be painful. But having lived through the 2008 recession, like it didn't affect my life at all. Like it just zero effect on me. Um, and it, I was right in the midst of my career. And uh, there were people around me that lost jobs. And, you know, there were people around me that their housing price really got screwed up and that caused big problems for them. Um, but like me personally, having lived through it, it just didn't matter to me at all. Um, and so, you know, I could see it being maybe two or three times worse than that, um, which would be bad. Um, and it would, it wouldn't be great, but again, it's not, you know, it's not blood in the streets or anything like that. So that even, so that's kind of my range on my, you know, on my really tiny percentage likelihood um, we have something, you know, really bad happen. And I always tell people that it's a good idea to have guns and have, you know, a couple months of food um, at least and uh, preferably have a community of people you can rely on. Um, on the super optimistic side, like, you know, maybe they just print another couple trillion bucks and it's uh, and, and it's back to the boom. Um, right. Candy bars get a little smaller. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, everybody says, all right, well, the next one's going to be even worse. And, you know, maybe we have a few more years of, uh, of the party before it's over. I don't think that's the case. It's, it seems like they're using this as an opportunity to, to write down all the losses. But, um, but it, you know, I'd say a 1% chance of that, that in like a month we're looking at back at this going, what was that all about? Sure. And, well, you know, it is worth saying, too, you can only reinflate a flat tire so many times before it just falls apart. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens first, you know. Totally, but nobody thought we could reinflate it this many times. Sure, yeah, it's unprecedented. I mean, truly, truly unprecedented. The, this fiat economy that we have. Totally, nobody. I mean, in two thousand eight, nobody thought that we were going to have a huge run that was going to last through twenty twenty. Yeah, um, that would have been that would have been. Uh, we, everybody that would have been asked that would have been like, I don't know, man. That's a one percent chance. Like, it's, it doesn't seem very likely. So. But part of the reason for that is that that macro trend, right? Like, yes, it's unprecedented how much wealth they've stolen from us, but it's also unprecedented how much wealth we've created and made available for them to steal from us. True. Right? Um, so when, when, when the world is changing like that drastically in two opposing directions, I think it makes it really, really hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's a good that's a good reason to just prepare for the worst and kind of hope for the best. Uh, but it, it gets really extreme, right? Like the worst is really, really bad, um, relatively speaking. And, and, uh, kind of the median or middle, middle ground is really, really good. Sure. Um, yeah, one last thing I, I would like to say is, um, you know, we, we've talked, I think we've talked before on this podcast about um, some of the ways that insurance would better solve uh, some of the problems uh, if it could exist in a, in a free market. Because uh, you could insure against these types of things if, if you needed to. But um, as individuals, you know, when, when the market can't meet that need for us, we're going to have to find ways to um, in, insure against certain likelihoods. And, and the premium you're willing to pay for that insurance is going to depend on how likely it is um, in your mind. And, you know, that's why having things like, you know, you don't think twice about getting insurance on your car, partly because you have to, but also because, you know, it's a good idea, whether you're in an accident or whatever. Um, it's no different, you know, having an insurance fund that's months of food or an insurance fund that's um, a few firearms and thousand rounds of ammo. Um, those types of things are insurance against the unlikely 
or likely, depending on what situation you're weighing on, um, outcome of events. And if, you know, the funny thing about uh, the general public, the normies, if you will, getting mad at the people who um, probably were preppers long before this event happened uh, and they see empty stores in the grocery shelves. You know, if your house burned down, you wouldn't blame your neighbor who bought insurance on his house just because he was prepared and you weren't. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So um, be prepared. Hopefully it's not too late uh, if you're not. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess I, I want to end on like a, a more positive note of what you can do about it because it it uh, it's not just like how we could have prevented it, but now you're in it. This is an opportunity to just if you didn't expect this, right? Like if you thought it, it's sunny all the time, right? We don't have hurricanes every 10 years. We don't have whatever every, we don't have economic resets every seven to 10 years. Um, and, uh, and you're one of those guys that's just completely thrown off. That's okay. Like now, you know, um, you know, maybe you're 25 and this is the first time that you've lived through it. You know, it sucks, but now you know, the world isn't quite as sunny as you thought it was. It's a little darker you know, bummer, but, um, but what, what are you going to do about it? Right. And I think, um, I think what I would tell you to do about it, it you're probably already naturally going to do it, right? Like, uh, you don't need me to tell you this, but if you're in that situation where you feel like you've greatly underprepared for this, the main thing that I would say is make more money because if you have a bunch of money right now, you're in a much better situation, right? You can go to the grocery store and drop 3000 bucks on food. You can probably still get a lot of calories on the shelf, no matter where you're at. You know, mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not toilet paper for God knows why. Uh, but all the stuff that you need is still available. If prices go up, you know, 10 times and, uh, and it's, it's a really rough period. Um, you get laid off or whatever. If you've got a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you're going to be fine. And if in your, if you're a, a, a guy that's relatively healthy in the United States right now, there's not a good excuse for you not to be able to make at least six figures a year. Um, there's a lot of jobs that offer that. And it's not always in software. I know software really, really well. And you can get into that within a couple of years if you start now um, and be making a decent salary to be paid to learn a skill that doesn't tap out until your package is over a quarter million dollars a year. Like a 20-year software developer that that is actually uh, good at what he does. When you look at like the stock, the medical benefits, all the stuff that companies are pouring into these people, it's over a quarter million dollars a year for somebody with 20 years of experience that on average, right? And it, it goes up. Like uh, it, it's 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 very. There's a lot of opportunities to make a lot of money, especially if you already are a U.S. citizen. You have a huge advantage over over a lot of people. So if that's you. Um, just make a lot more money. Decide that you're going to, instead of, you know, if you've been working 40 hours a week and you didn't realize that, that these, uh, these storms come work 45 or 50, um, for the next few years, uh, maybe change careers and continue to work 45 or 50, um, until you have enough to where you can, you can weather the next one. Cause you know, you, you might not be ready for this one, but you're probably almost certainly going to survive it even if it sucks and uh, get ready for the next one. Yep. That's advice that I'm certainly uh, working on taking in my own life for sure. Right on, right on. Well, cool. I'm glad we were able to chat. I'm sure we're going to get some, uh, some interesting feedback on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think we're probably all going to be okay is almost always true. 
and uh, that's the kind of right attitude, but just keep building. Yeah. Well, you know, I certainly hope you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. We'll see. All right, guys, that was the interview. Hopefully that uh, was a little bit reassuring for you. If you have any questions about anything that we discussed, if you want me to go more into specifics about some of the events that have transpired recently, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at heavilyarmedc, that's the letter C, or you can shoot me an email at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com, or you can stop by our Discord, which we're active in pretty much every day. It's a small, tight-knit group of people that talk in it pretty much every day, but you can find the link Uh, down in the description in the show notes. Like I said, hopefully more episodes coming up pretty soon here. As always, thanks for listening, and I will see you guys in the next one.